gives us a little bit of an overview of that. So if you would go ahead and bring the lights down a little bit and we'll, uh, we'll take a look at this video. We all lead busy lives, but if we could just stop everything and take a bird's eye view, a little higher, there. Now we can see the multitudes. We are fueled by a shared vision to bring the name of Christ to those who have yet to hear. So we move forward to extreme places, corners of the world that have no access to the gospel. We train missionaries, send them out together, and pray that God's grace be known. We help the hurting, comfort the dying, give hope to the displaced, and have seen thousands come to faith in Christ. We are able to do so much more together than if we were chasing this vision alone. This is our common effort, together. So the, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, 100% uh, of what is taken in goes directly to the field. And as we participate in this offering, as we give as a church, we are partnering with over 47,000 other churches um, that are also partnering together in order to, uh, to, to collect money to put onto the field so that more and more people in the darkest parts of the world can have the light of Christ shown on them. Uh, the, the International Mission Board uh, supports uh, over 3,600 missionaries in uh, 847 different people groups. And uh, so we are really excited to be able to participate and come alongside all these other churches and to contribute to the work that God is doing through these missionaries uh, throughout the world. And so I would ask you even now to be considering and praying about how you can participate in that, um, in that offering. Uh, like I said, we'll be taking that up during our Christmas Eve service. Um, but even before then, if you'd like to contribute to that, uh, you can designate uh, a gift and, and, uh, as going to the, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and put it in our, our regular offering. So that's a little bit more about the Lottie Moon offering, and we'll, we'll be talking about that even more in the coming days. Well, uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Continuing our series, uh, our Advent series, through uh, what has been nicknamed the fifth gospel, the book of Isaiah. And as I said last week, Advent is a season in which we look back we enter back into the longing and anticipation that the people of God had for the coming Messiah. We also celebrate the fact that Jesus was born. The Messiah has come. And we anticipate, we look forward to the day that Jesus will come again. We anticipate that day that our Christ, our Messiah, will come and he will fully and finally establish his kingdom forever. So that's what we are doing, and we are using uh, the book of Isaiah to guide our season of Advent. We are uh, sitting under the Word of God uh, in these passages, and uh, as we uh, come to Isaiah chapter 9 this morning, we're really continuing in uh, the story that we saw last week about uh, the, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah and uh, the, the, the consequences of Ahaz's decision. And uh, so as we jump into chapter 9, would you read with me, starting in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 7. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. But there will be no gloom 
for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So this week, a panel of law professors testified before the House Judiciary Committee as part of the ongoing impeachment inquiry. And I know that this is a divisive issue, so don't worry. I'm not going to get into personal opinion or anything like that. So we can all just relax. I'm just going to make an observation. I can feel the collective blood pressure rising like, oh, he's not talking. No, I'm not. I'm not. But I, ha- I made an observation. Something stuck out to me as I, as I watched this. One of the law professors was making an argument, and the basis of what she was saying was the idea that we as Americans don't want a monarchy. We're not a monarchy. We left a monarchy because we wanted to be a republic. Democracy, and you know, in a in a very divisive climate, there's something that one, there's one thing at least that all Americans I think can pretty much agree on. We don't want a king. <laughs> we don't want to be a part of a monarchy, having one leader with too much power. We don't want a king, and for good reason. Uh, as history testifies, as Scripture testifies, and I think as our own human experience testifies. In a Genesis 3 fallen world, it is a bad thing for any one person or even one group of people to have too much power. It's not good to, for, uh, for any one person to have too much uh, power without any checks and balances. So there's good reasons why we don't want a king. But as Americans, as those who are part of a republic, a democracy, as those who are not wanting a king, 
we can run into a problem, though. Because when we come to a passage like this that promises the good news of a king, it's easy for us to not see what's so good about that. We don't want a king. We're, we don't like a king. We left that. But what we need to see here in Isaiah chapter 9 about these people, they needed a king. They were in a terrible situation. And God's hope for them was to send them a king. And we have exactly the same need. We may not want a king, but we need a king. We need this king. Because while there are good reasons that we don't like a king from a, a, a sinful human perspective, there's also some bad reasons we don't want a king. There's some bad reasons why we don't want this king sometimes. We want to make our own decisions. We want to have the freedom to call the shots in our own lives. We want to be able to defend ourselves. We don't want to rely on someone else. We want to care for ourselves and take care of ourselves and not depend on anyone else. We want to be the king. But what we need to realize is that we need this king and we need to give up the throne of our own hearts and give our allegiance to this king above everyone else, including ourselves. And the good news of Christmas is that Jesus is the king we need. The king we need has come. The king that was promised has been provided. Jesus is the king we need. So we're going to look at this in, uh, in two halves, two uh, sections. First, we'll see the promise, and then we'll see the fulfillment. So first of all, the promise. So in this passage, as we come to Isaiah chapter 9, it's seven verses here, and, and this section can be divided really into two different sections. Uh, in verses 1 through 3, we see the promise of future glory for this nation. And then verses 4 through 7 give the reason for this future glory that's promised. So, so first we'll look at the promise of this future glory. Look with me at verses 1 and 2 again. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. So who was this who was in anguish? Well, as we saw last week, first and foremost, the people who were in anguish were the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, you, you may remember the kingdom is divided at this point. The people of God are divided into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And the people who were in anguish, who were going to be in anguish, first and foremost, were the northern kingdom. Because as we discussed last week, the nation of Assyria, this superpower of the region, was going to come in and annihilate this northern kingdom of Israel. And this was happening from a human standpoint because the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, Ahaz, had made an alliance with Assyria to defend Judah against Israel and their neighbor, Syria. So from a human standpoint, it was the, it was 
caused by King Ahaz, the king of Judah. But from God's perspective, Assyria, as evil as they were, they were an instrument in the hand of a holy and just God who was using them as his instrument of judgment upon this northern kingdom of Israel, which had been faithless to their God. So first and foremost, the nation that was experiencing anguish was this northern kingdom of Israel. But the southern kingdom would also be experiencing anguish because of this foolish decision by Ahaz to form an alliance with Assyria. Uh, To a lesser degree than the northern kingdom, but they would still be experiencing anguish because this alliance that Ahaz formed with the king of Assyria, it didn't turn out to be a partnership. No, Assyria was ended up being not Judah's partner, but Judah's master. They formed an alliance with someone that they should have never been in business with, and they suffered the consequences as a result. They lost their independence, and they were uh, subject to the king of Assyria from this point on. So notice in this, in this passage, he describes what's coming upon them as gloom and anguish, But he describes, he says, in the former time, he brought into contempt. And then he says, in the latter time, he's made glorious. Now, he says the former time he did this. But we need to recognize that this anguish, this gloom, this darkness that was coming on these people at the hand of the king of Assyria, when Isaiah is writing this, it's in the future. But Isaiah refers to it as the former time. And as he shifts his attention to the hope on the other side of this anguish, he talks about that being the latter time. Well, why is that? It's not because Isaiah got his tenses mixed up. It's because the hope that Isaiah is promising, the hope that God is promising to his people, is so certainly going to happen, it's as if it's already here. And the anguish that they haven't even experienced yet, it is so certain that that is going to end that it's as if it's already in the past. So that's why we see here that Isaiah is saying in the former time this thing has happened when really it hadn't even happened yet. So what about this glorious time, this future glory that God is, uh, is through Isaiah prophesying about? Well, he describes it as making this land glorious. They had walked in darkness, but they were going to see a light. They had been in anguish and gloom, but it was going to be this time of prosperity and joy. And look at verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So this time of darkness would end. A light would shine. A new day would be coming while Assyria and the nations that would then come afterward as well would whittle down the population of Israel to a small remnant, Scripture talks about, the hope, the future glory that God is promising here is multiplication of the nation, increasing of the population. And not only increasing of the population, but notice he says increasing of joy. Your people, your nation, your borders will expand and multiply, and your joy will increase. As with the joy at the harvest, 
Imagine the best crop you've ever received and the joy that you had at that. The biggest bonus, the biggest surplus. That's the kind of joy that you are going to experience in this time of future glory that is going to come as this light shines even after you walk in darkness. This is a promise that is later repeated in Isaiah 26 and verse 15. But you have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have enlarged all the borders of the land. So God is promising a future multiplication, a future increase of this nation that is about to be whittled down to nearly nothing. But notice also that phrase, Galilee of the nations. So Galilee is another name for the region uh, we see also referred to here as Zebulun and Naphtali. So Zebulun and Naphtali, those were two of the sons of uh, Jacob. They're two of the tribes of Israel. And they were the northernmost uh, tribes in the northern kingdom of Israel. So Assyria, when they are going to invade, they're going to invade from the north. Their invasion of Israel, the northern kingdom, would begin with Zebulun and Naphtali. It would begin with Galilee. And what God is promising here is that the very same place that this anguish begins, the very same place where the darkness begins, is the very same place where his light is going to come from. It's the very same place where he's going to begin his work of restoring his people, of multiplying his people, of giving them this future glory that he is promising here. But notice, he he says Galilee of the nations. Well, that word nations there refers to not just the nation of Israel and Judah, but the Gentile nations. The expansion and multiplication of the people of God that he is promising here is going to expand not just to the nation of Israel, but to all the Gentile nations. He is promising a blessing to the nations outside of just the offspring of Abraham. Really, what we're seeing here is God is restating his promise that he made to Abraham, that through Abraham, blessing would come to all the nations of the earth. So we see this promise of future glory for Israel and for all nations. Well, how is he going to do this? What is the reason for this future glory? Well, we see that in verses 4 through 7. And and really, there's three reasons, but they build on each other. You'll notice in verses 4, 5, and 6, they all start with the word for. So there's these three reasons, and they all build on one another. First, God will free his people from their oppressors. So this future glory is going to come because God is going to free his people from their oppressors. Look at verse 4 again. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. All of this language that he uses here, burden, yoke, shoulder, oppressor, these are the words that are often associated in Scripture with uh, the nation of Egypt when Israel was slaves in Egypt and what God did to relieve them of their burden, relieve them of their oppression, and free them out of slavery. And so what God is saying here is that I am going to do again for you what I have already done for you in the Exodus. I'm going to again free you from your taskmasters. I'm going to again release you from your oppression, and I'm going to liberate you. Uh, 
you notice there the, the reference to Midian. Uh, you may know the story about how God uh, used uh, Gideon to lead Israel uh, out of um, oppression from the land of Midian. Uh, God told uh, Gideon to whittle down the army to a very small number. And the effect was that as God defeated the enemies of his people, Midian, he demonstrated that it was not by the might of Israel's army that he defeated them. It was by God's power alone. And so just like God freed Israel from Exodus, for, or uh, in the Exodus from Egypt by his power alone, just like he freed Israel from Midian by his power alone, so he will free his people again from their oppressors, he says. The second reason he gives here for this future glory is that God will end his people, people's warfare permanently. He will end his people's warfare permanently. Look at verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. There is going to be such peace in that day. And there is going to never again be war. The peace will be such that you can take your combat boots and your fatigues and you can find a new use for them because you don't need them anymore. Never again will you need them. Those things that had wartime uses, you need to find a peacetime use for. You can use them to fuel the fire because you don't need them because war is over. Uh, this is a promise that uh, is echoed from uh, chapter 2 of Isaiah. In chapter 2 and verse 4, of Isaiah, Isaiah writes, He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. They don't need them anymore. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. There's not going to be a war again. You can take all the things you need for war and find a new use for them because war will never come again. So how is it that he's going to free his people from their oppressors? How is it that he's going to bring this permanent end to war? Well, that comes in this third and ultimate reason. God will give his people an heir to the throne. God will free his people from their oppressors and end his people, people's warfare by giving his people an heir to the throne. Verse 6, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. So we see here that God is promising a king. He is promising that one day there is going to be born an heir to the throne who is going to bring all of this about. He's promising a human king, a, a child is going to be physically born. A son is going to be given. He promises a human king. And he identifies this king with four names. Look at how he describes this coming king. First of all, wonderful counselor. This king is going to have supernatural wisdom. Supernatural wisdom. Unlike Ahaz, the king of Judah, who foolishly made this alliance with Assyria that not only brought down their enemies but also came back to haunt them, Unlike that king, this wonderful counselor is going to come with the wisdom of God and lead his people with perfect wisdom. 
The second name he gives here for this king is Mighty God. Now this is where things get interesting. Because Israel knew that there was this promise of a king. He had made this promise to David. And they anticipated a human king. This is not any surprise that there would be this human king who would be this great leader. But what is different here is he says this king, in no uncertain terms, will be God himself. He will be divine. And this term, mighty God, he, he describes him as a divine warrior who will come and fight for his people. He will be able to free his people from their oppressors and his people's warfare because he will fight for them with the very power of God. He is the mighty God. He will be both human and God. Then there's this third name, Everlasting Father. This king will come and he will be brilliant and he will be powerful, but he will not be a cold-hearted dictator. He will not be a heartless CEO. He will lead and care for God's people with the warmth of a daddy caring for his kids. He will love in tenderness the people that God entrusts to him. And notice, he's not just a father, but the everlasting father. For all of eternity, he will care for his people with the warmth of a father. And then lastly, this title, Prince of Peace. Uh, you may recognize the Hebrew word for peace there, shalom. It's an idea that encompasses all of these things that we've seen so far. War over, expanding borders, joy and prosperity. He is promising that this king is going to lead his people into a time of peace and joy like they have only ever dreamed of before now. And just to even double down on what he promises here, look at verse 7. He promises that this great king, this human divine king, his kingdom, his dominion will be both universal and and eternal. Look at verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The borders of this kingdom will extend so far that you will never be able to find the end of them. The peace that is experienced at this time will last forever. You will never reach the end of the time of this peace. And just like before, we saw that this promise here in Isaiah is really a repeat, uh, a restatement of the promise that God made to Abraham. So this is a restatement, a repeat of God's promise to David. He is promising that he will fulfill his promise to bring the heir to the throne of David whose kingdom will have no end, who will lead Israel and reign over the earth forever and perfectly. And, and notice that last phrase in verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Lord of hosts, the, the God of angel armies just like we saw before with these references to the Exodus and, and to Midian, this will not come by the people's strength. 
or the people's doing. This will come by God's doing alone. Because he is zealous for his glory. Because he wants to exercise his power and make his name great. For him and him alone and by him and him alone, this king will come. This future glory will come. Though there is this impending darkness on these people, though they are entering into a period of anguish, Their hope is that they will, on the other side of that, experience a future glory, joy, expansion, prosperity, all that will be ushered in by this glorious king. This is the king that these people needed. This is the king who could do what no other king could do. And this is the king that you and I need as well. We need this wonderful counselor. We need the wisdom of God coming down to us. We need this mighty God who will fight for us. We need the everlasting Father who will care for us, who will provide for us, who will meet our needs. We need this Prince of Peace who will lead us into uh, into flourishing. And this king that was promised is a king who has come. Flip over to Matthew chapter 4 with me. The first few chapters of Matthew's gospel are dedicated to the early life of Jesus, his birth, his childhood, his baptism. And here as we come to Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 12. We see the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Your Bible might even have a heading there that says Jesus begins his ministry. Read with me starting in verse 12. Now when he, Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king has come. The kingdom that God promised has been inaugurated. As Jesus began his ministry, the promised king was beginning to set up his kingdom. Jesus is the one who was promised, the son who was promised, who would be born, who would bring peace. This human king, we read about it in Luke chapter 2 before. When the angel said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all 
the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is the one who was the human king who was promised, who was born, who would bring peace on earth. He is the one who was promised to be the son who would be given. And I wonder if Isaiah realized when he penned those words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, just how serious it was, the promise that God would give a son, that to us a son is given. Because it wasn't just any son, it was God's son. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. As the human child of the Virgin Mary, Jesus was this promised human king. As the very son of God, fully God, he was the promised mighty God that Isaiah promised him. So here he is, the king, the child who is promised to be born. As we celebrate Christmas, as we celebrate this Advent season, we are celebrating that this king, this child has come. He has been born. But as Jesus begins to inaugurate his kingdom, as he begins to bring victory to his people, the way he accomplishes this victory is not what we would have expected. Because this king who comes to set up his kingdom came, and the way he accomplished victory was through experiencing anguish. He left the glory of heaven to come and experience the gloom of humanity and to experience the full gloom of sin. This king who had reigned in light came and entered into the darkness of humanity. The king who would multiply the nation would die alone. The king who would multiply the people's joy came and he purchased that for them by experiencing sorrow unlike anything anyone had experienced before. The one who would free his people from their oppressors took on their burdens on his shoulders. The one who would bring victory to his people is the one who accomplished his victory by himself being defeated. As Isaiah will say in chapter 53, verses 4 through 7, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. 
and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Because as Jesus came, as the promised king, to defeat our greatest enemy, the greatest enemy that he had to defeat was the enemy that lives inside each one of us. The sin that we carry with us every single day. The sin that is deserving of eternal death. So when the king came to defeat the enemies of his people, he came and he did so by bearing our burdens, bearing our sin, by bearing the oppression of our enemy, by taking that on himself and dying in our place to set us free. Jesus brings us into this future glory by taking the punishment that we deserve. As the author of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 2, 9 and 10. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus, the promised king, began his kingdom by purchasing citizens of his kingdom with his very own blood. That's how I put it, but I can't put it quite as well as Sally Lloyd-Jones does in the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, if, you, if you don't have this and uh, you're a parent, even if you're not a parent, if you, ha- if you don't have this, you need to get it, and if you have it, you need to read it, because it is a beautiful, uh, beautifully written uh, storybook Bible that points to how all of Scripture, Old and New Testaments, uh, points to Jesus. And uh, in, in, a, uh, in this chapter that she writes, uh, retelling the, the story of Isaiah and the prophet of Isaiah, I just want to read to you a selection from here that, that puts this uh, in, in a better way than, than I ever could. So this is God writing to uh, his people through Isaiah. You've been stumbling around like people in a dark room. But into the darkness, a bright light will shine. It will chase away all the shadows like sunshine. A little baby will be born, a royal son. His mommy will be a young girl who doesn't have a husband. His name will be Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us. He is one of King David's children's children's children, the Prince of Peace. Yes, someone is going to come and rescue you. But he won't be who anyone expects. He will be a king, but he won't live in a palace. And he won't have lots of money. He will be poor. And he will be a servant. But this king will heal the whole world. 
he will be a hero. He will fight for his people and rescue them from their enemies. But he won't have big armies, and he won't fight with swords. He will make the blind see. He will make the lame leap like deer. He will make everything the way it was always meant to be. But people will hate him, and they won't listen to him. He will be like a lamb. He will suffer and die. It's the secret rescue plan we made from before the beginning of the world. It's the only way to get you back. But he won't stay dead. I will make him alive again. And one day when he comes back to rule forever, the mountains and trees will dance and sing for joy. The earth will shout out loud. His fame will fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. Everything sad will come untrue. Even death is going to die. And he will wipe away every tear from every eye. Yes, the rescuer will come. Look for him. Watch for him. Wait for him. He will come. I promise. God promised a king, and the king has come. He has kept his promise. So how will you respond to this king? When Jesus came, shining a light in the people who dwelt in great darkness, he said, he began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came to die in your place. He came to rise again so that you could have eternal life. The eternal life that he promises in Isaiah chapter 9. Of flourishing, of joy, of peace, of freedom. And the way that you get in on that. The way that you receive what Jesus the King has purchased for you is you repent. You turn away from living for yourself. You turn away from having yourself as the king on the throne of your heart. You turn away from trying to make it on your own, trying to defend yourself, fight for your own freedom, uh, accomplish what you want for yourself. You let that go and you trust in the promised king. You trust in Jesus the lamb who was slain for you. So will you today listen to the call of the king and repent and trust in him? Maybe you have trusted in this king. Maybe you are a follower of this king. Do you realize that what you need Whatever it is that you're longing for, whatever it is that you are going through, do you realize that what you need is a king? Is it good news to you that God promises a king? Is it good news to you that Jesus wants to be your king? King Jesus is a king that you can trust. King Jesus is not the monarch that we all fear. King Jesus is not a king that needs checks and balances. You can trust Jesus to be the wonderful counselor. You can trust his wisdom. 
and you trust his wisdom as the wonderful counselor by following his ways, by trusting that he really does know the best way. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. You can trust Jesus as the wonderful counselor to give you the wisdom that you need. You can trust King Jesus to be the mighty God, the God with divine power, the warrior who fights for you. Even as you struggle with sin, even as you struggle in the battle against not flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of darkness that wage war against us, you can trust Jesus to fight for you. He is the king that you need. He is the mighty God, and you can trust him. Jesus is the everlasting father. You can trust Jesus to care for you. The provision you need, the love that your heart longs for that you've never been able to quite get from anyone else, Jesus has available for you. Jesus is the Prince of Peace who not only leads us into flourishing, who not only leads us into the best life we can experience in Christ, but he also protects that peace. He keeps us safe. He gives us the grace that we need. So trust in King Jesus. Trust in the king who was promised and the king who has come. One last thing as we think about how to respond to this king. We should answer his call to repent. We should trust in this king, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. But as we think about this promised king, the one upon whose shoulders would be the government whose dominion and the borders of his kingdom would have no end, the one who would multiply the nation, who would bring light not only to Israel and Judah, but to all the nations of the Gentiles. If you desire to see this king's reign increase, if you desire to see the place that is dwelling in darkness have light shine on it, if you desire to see the nations come and bow the knee to this king, then listen to the call of King Jesus at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Promise fulfilled. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of of the age. Do you want to see the multiplication that Isaiah prophesied? Do you want to see the multiplication of joy? Do you want to see joy increase in all of the world? Do you want to see burdens lifted like Isaiah promised? Then go. Go. Jesus gives us the privilege of being a part of the fulfillment of Isaiah 9. 
through the ministry he has given us, he is multiplying his nation. He is multiplying his kingdom. He is multiplying peace on earth. The light of Christ is shining into the darkness as his people are going to all the nations and making disciples. This is why I started out by showing you this video about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. It's one way that we can be a part of what God is doing to fulfill his promise, to bring light to the nations. It's one way. But, you know, when, when you share the gospel with your lost neighbor, with your lost friend, you are entering into the fulfillment of Isaiah 9. When you teach your child in your home about Jesus, you are fulfilling the promise of Isaiah 9. That's astounding. But that is our king. He gives the citizens of his kingdom the privilege of pointing more people to him. And as Jesus said, he will be with us always. Always. He is the everlasting father. His kingdom has no end. There will be no end to the peace that he brings. He is with us always to the end of the age. So may we go. May we make disciples. May we be part of the king who is building his kingdom as we anticipate the day promised in Revelation 11 and verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. We go, we make disciples, we trust this king as we long for the day when this king will come again. When once and for all, there will be total freedom from all oppression. When once and for all, warfare will cease forever. When the one who came the first time comes again, the one who reigns on the throne of our hearts will come and reign on the throne of this earth forever. As we long for that day, may we trust this king and go and make disciples. Let's pray together. Father, you are a faithful God. Lord, you are a God who promises and you are a God who delivers on his promise. You are a God who fulfills what he says he is going to do. And Lord, we thank you for sending the king that you promised. The king who frees us from our oppression to sin. Who lifts our burdens. Who gives us peace. The king who died for us to bring us into his kingdom. And Lord, I pray that we would trust him. As the wonderful counselor. As the mighty God. As the everlasting father. As the prince of peace. May we trust him. And Lord, may we delight to see others' joy increased as we point them to King Jesus. Lord, we love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together.
child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping this this is Christ the King whom shepherds guard and angels sing haste haste to bring him love the babe the son of Mary what lies of such mean estate where ox and lamb are feeding good Christian fear for sinners here the silent word is pleading. Nail spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me and you. Hail, hail the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. gold and myrrh come peasant king to own him the king of kings salvation brings let loving hearts enthrone him raise raise the song on high the virgin sings her lullaby Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. Raise, raise the song on high, the virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. Harry and Natalie, would you uh, come down to the front? So um, many of you know, and if you don't, uh, Harry and Natalie are uh, going to be moving to uh, Louisiana. And uh, this is their last Sunday. Oh, here, come on, right up here. Uh, this is their last Sunday uh, worshiping with us. And so we just wanted to, um, first of all, honor God for what he has done in Harry and Natalie, uh, both in their hearts and through their serving our church. Um, it is, uh, it's, if, you, if you weren't here a few weeks ago, I um, had the privilege of baptizing Harry and Natalie. Uh, both have, uh, have come to a, a saving knowledge of Christ and have trusted in Jesus to save them. And, uh, and as I think most of us have experienced, they have been so faithful uh, to serve this church. And uh, we have experienced the love and fellowship of Christ through them. 
And um, so just want to pray and thank the Lord for what he has done in them and through them and pray as they go and, um, and continue uh, their life there in Louisiana and uh, encourage, uh, encourage us all after um, have a chance to pray for them, uh, come and, and give them a hug, give them a warm uh, goodbye. Uh, you, you all are, as you look for uh, a new church family to be a part of, uh, and we, we are excited for what the Lord is doing in your hearts. We look forward to, um, to what the Lord is going to do in and through you there as, uh, as he leads you. And so let's pray together. Father, uh, we thank you for our brother and sister, Harry and Natalie. Um, Lord, we thank you first and foremost uh, for saving them, Lord, for the work that you have done to pour your grace out into their hearts, uh, to bring them from darkness into light. And Lord, we are just so grateful for you, the God who saves. And Lord, we thank you so much for uh, the friendships that uh, are represented in this room, the way that you have used Harry and Natalie uh, to bring joy to all of our lives, uh, to extend your grace uh, to us. Lord, we are, we are grateful to you for them. And we pray your blessing on them as they go uh, to Louisiana, Lord, as they uh, uh, search for a new church family, as they um, continue to uh, make disciples there, as, um, Lord, you uh, lead them. I pray that uh, you would continue to provide for them, uh, Lord, that you would lead them as they are um, uh, searching for job opportunities. And, uh, Lord, thank you for the provision of uh, a place to, to live in the meantime that you have given them. Lord, we are grateful for your provision for them and just ask uh, that your hand would continue to be on them, that you would continue to provide for them, and, Lord, that they would trust in you every step of their way. Lord, thank you uh, for the privilege of, of knowing Harry and Natalie, and, Lord, we, uh, we trust and ask um, that you would continue uh, to give them grace as they go from here. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.